Hello, I'm Anthony Johnston, and you're listening to Writing and Breathing, a show where I chat with fellow authors of all kinds about why, how, and what we write. My guest today is the film and TV writer James Moran. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, for the benefit of listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, just briefly tell us who you are and what you do. Um, I uh, write for film, TV, and various other bits and bobs. I wrote three movies, Severance, Tower Block, and Cockneys vs. Zombies. I've written TV episodes of Doctor Who, Torchwood, Spooks, Primeval, uh, Crossing Lines, uh, Eve, Spartacle Mystery, um, and most recently, The Rubbish Adventures of Dave Spud. I I can't say I'm familiar with that last one. (laughs) That's, what a great title. It's a kids animation show on uh, C, uh, CITV. Oh, there you go. Right, right. Um, so how did you how did you get into it? How did you get started? Wow. Um, I t- there, there was no sort of start date. Uh, I, I've just, I've always written stories. I've always told stories uh, right back to as far as I can remember. Um, I remember writing stories when I was three, four years old, um, I would I would spend time in school writing stories when I should have been doing schoolwork. But I have, but I have a very vivid memory of um, I must have been four, and we used to have a thing. This was like the first year at primary school. We had a thing every week called story time, where we would sit and write a story. And what that meant was you would draw. You know, you draw a picture of a house when you're a kid with the with the chimney and the smoke coming out and people waving and the sun shining. And then underneath on these on this three lines of this kitty paper, we would write in block capitals, this is a house. And that was it every week. And I, I remember, I distinctly remember this very vividly after f- quite a few weeks of this, I just thought, it's not a very good story, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, so I thought, you know, what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to draw the house. I'm just going to fill the page with an actual story. So I wrote a story about a cat and a mouse, which was, I'm sure very heavily influenced by Tom and Jerry. Um, and just, you know, wrote, wrote an actual little mini story. Um, and the teacher thought it was really good and maybe stand on a chair for everyone to stare at me while the teacher read the story out. And then everyone laughed and clapped and, Oh, laughed in a good way. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> uh, it was it was funny on purpose, um, and, and I still remember that. That just started, I mean, it's awkward standing on a chair, um, but I still remember that moment of everyone laughing at the end and clapping and thinking, "Oh, I like this. This is good. This this is it. This is a good feeling. I like this." And I've been chasing that feeling ever since. You could probably argue. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh man, I. I, I I thought for a moment you were going to say so. The next time I drew flames coming out of the windows in the house, and well, this, this is this is the thing. I mean, all all the other kids did draw th- those houses quite a lot, and I'd forgotten this, but my sister reminded me that I did. Whenever I drew those houses, the ones I drew were always on fire. <laughs> they they always had like big big bursts of flames coming out or there was a plane crashing near them or on them but i still had the people standing next to the houses smiling and waving at the camera so i don't quite know what what i was thinking but i'd i'd, I'd, I'd forgotten that bit but yeah apparently that's that's what i did because i was just like well it's just really boring so i'm just going to throw in some explosions and, and burning things and and crashes and again, you could argue I haven't really improved or got any more sophisticated uh, ever since. Then. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me. Yeah, when I was 
was it it was middle school but uh, you know so a bit later but yeah in middle school i remember writing we got given some creative writing assignment and i wrote like a 12 sides of a4 fantasy story epic and everybody else wrote like you know half a page yeah <laughs> and i turned up with mine and the teacher's like oh okay so we're gonna be like that is it yeah and, and you, you would get sort of this kind of weird reaction like why why would you why would you do more than you than you have to do it's like well because i because i love doing this everything else i find really dull i have no interest in maths or history or or anything like that at all um actually yeah obviously except for like dinosaurs and, and robots and things like that but i just i just wanted to write stories um but this is, you know, obviously this is way before the internet or anything like that. So I, I just kind of thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice if one day I would, I'd end up writing stories or books or something, um, and you know, sitting sitting by a window, looking at trees, writing stories and books. Um, but that's never going to happen because people like me don't do that, and nobody in this town would do that. Um, and I had, I had no way of, of sort of finding out how to get into that world and nor did i think to look or investigate that because again how would i how would i have done that and kind of gone to the school library and looked at all the ladybird books it, it just wasn't it wasn't really a thing you could research you know so i just i just carried on writing stories in, in my spare time and reading a lot um i credit I credit a lot to my local uh library because I'd pretty much clean. I, I used to read six, seven books a week. Sometimes I was so, so voracious and I pretty much cleaned out the kids section and, and I, I would have a look in the adult section and I'm just be like, there's lots of really interesting books here. So I had to get my mum to come into the library with me and ask them to let me have an adult library card. Um, and they were really dubious, but then when we, we sort of explained that I, you know, I had a, an advanced reading age and I wrote stories and, and, and she, you know, she told them that I wouldn't be getting out, getting out any of the mucky books or anything. That's not why I wanted it. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that was a moment where I was like, Oh, I can, I can get out. I think I could get out 10 books at once um, and keep them for longer. So that was, that sort of opened up a whole, a whole new world to me, which was, which was great. So yeah. So writing stories in my spare time and reading a re- ridiculous amount of books yeah i i've mentioned this before on the show i had the same experience of growing up in a place where nobody was a writer mm. and the idea that somebody could make a living as a writer well that was for that was for posh people who lived in london that wasn't for the likes of us you know yeah yeah it's nonsense yeah I, although i remember my high school english teacher did publish a novel uh, while I was at school, while I was in his class. And that blew my mind. Wow. That was a real moment of like, oh, oh, this is something that, that real people do. Um, and yeah, like you in and out of the library, I remember, I don't think, I don't think I sort of got my mom to petition me to get an adult card, but I remember the, when I got my adult card, which I, we say adult, but actually in our library, it was, I think you had to be 13. Mm. Uh, to get it, or maybe it was 12. And I remember that my the number of books I could borrow doubled, and it was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? It's just, and, and so many different types of books as well. And so, and some of them you'd, you'd start reading and you go, this is actually quite boring. It looked exciting, but it was actually a bit dull. I remember being very disappointed by the James Bond books as a kid, because when I was a kid, the James Bond was Roger Moore. Yeah. You know, being being silly and running around and uh, smashing cars up, and and I got a James Bond book out, and I thought this is actually this is quite dull. 
Um, I appreciated them obviously later on in the, in in life, but uh, I was just after the after the quick thrill. I was like, they're not, they're not. This isn't Roger Moore. What's going on? So, what was the what was the moment when you realised that, as I said, that you know stories and books and films, what have you, were written by people? Um, I think it was. I think a lot of it was thanks to Doctor Who because obviously I watched a lot of TV as well as read books. Um, but I was obsessed with Doctor Who, and but the, in particular, I would I would finish the episode, but I, I would insist on watching every single one of the end credits on Doctor Who. And my, I, I always remember my mum was always impatient to, to change channel to watch the next thing on the other channel. I was like, no, I need to watch the end credits. And she and she go, you do this every week. It's the same names over and over again. I'm like, it's not quite the same names. There's a few names that are different. So I would I would just. I don't know. Was I trying to memorize the names, or or I was just sort of fascinated by by the names and trying to figure out what all these jobs were? And that's when I started kind of thinking that some some people make this program. There are people who make things. There's a there's a vision mixer, or whatever that is. There's a floor manager, or whatever that is. And and I was just sort of aware then that you know this this is this is a thing that people make. And I think and I think a lot of that was due to. Because Tom Baker was my doctor at the time, and he he used to make a lot of appearances, so I was aware that he was a person called Tom Baker. But you know, but the doctor was real to me, so 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 I think that I, I do credit that with a lot. But I, I think that was probably the moment where I realised this is this is something that is made by by human beings. But even then, I still didn't think I would ever get to get to do that myself. So what? change that then what was you know that that was the moment when you realized oh okay this is something people do so what Mm. did it then take for you to start thinking maybe i could do this um it it took a long time i mean i i kept i kept writing because all 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 i knew how to write was short stories because i didn't i didn't know what a script was i I never heard a script so i just wrote short stories that would get longer and longer and more complicated um writing obviously writing them longhand in the in my my exercise books when I should have been doing proper proper homework and revision um so yeah I think I think it wasn't till I was must have been 15 or 16 or something and I was in a charity shop and they had a time bandits book which was one of my favorite films and and I saw this time bandits book and we were in a hurry and it was like 50p or something and I just I quickly sort of glanced at it and looked and I thought oh there's pictures and stuff in it so I'll I thought it's just it's the book of the film, so I grabbed it and bought it and took it home. And then I opened it and I realised it was the script book, the illustrated screenplay oh. of the film. It's on, it's on my shelf in the in the corridor. So when you say illustrated, just to be clear, you mean with stills from the film? Yeah, it had stills from the film and it had drawings from the storyboards that Terry Gilliam had done. Oh wow! Um, it had and it had and some of the pages were sort of it had the scribbles that that they had written in the in the uh on the on the, the script pages themselves um but at, also at the beginning they had a little glossary explaining what you know that the script terms like int and ext and i go well this is interior that means it's indoors and exterior that means you have to put a coat on and it was and little little jokes <laughs> like that um but it just but it just explained and i was like oh that's that's i was like that's that makes total sense you would have to explain and, but that really blew my mind it was my first the first time i ever saw a script or realized what a script was and then seeing it laid out in script format, and I thought, of course, that makes sense. If you want somebody to make something on screen, you would have to describe it like this in this particular way. And that 
that was the key. That was that was the moment. Um, seeing how the action was described, I was like, I, I kind of thought, this this is much better than writing short stories because in a short story, I've got to spend half a page describing what the room looks like and the atmosphere and the sunlight and what everyone looks like and what everyone's feeling and blah blah blah. But in the script, it's just you know, run down house. Um, two downtrodden people walk in and that's it. And then it gets to the dialogue. And I was like, it just gets to the action and it just very, very minimally describes what's going on and gets on with it and just describes what you're seeing and hearing in a, in a kind of a, a really useful shorthand kind of way. Um, so I, so I immediately started writing scripts instead of short stories. I would write short scripts. Um, Again, still not thinking I would I would ever get anything made, but just because I loved the format and and I really enjoyed it, and and the, and the other thing that kind of blew me away was that once I'd got my head around the script format, there was a moment in um, there was one page where they the, the the bit where they go to ancient Greece before they meet uh, Sean Connery's character. And they're describing the the sun and the blistering heat, and it's I should have, I should have got the book out. It's something like it's the sort of heat that can only be imagined by two slightly mad Englishmen writing at a at a freezing cold desk in Kentish Town in December. <laughs> and I just thought that's not that's not going to be in the film. That's 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 just a joke for the reader. For me, that's just to kind of get me get me on the side and get me into the kind of the feel of of the atmosphere and the tone. And that that was a huge influence, and I and I still do that now. I still put in little asides to the reader, not to not to show off or or just crack jokes, but to kind of just to get them get get across the feel of the script. Like if it's a scary thing, then I then I will put in scary asides. If it's a comedy thing, then I will I'll be a bit more verbose and kind of chatty, and anything to just kind of get across the atmosphere and the tone. Um, so that so that sort of blew me away, and the, and and things like, you know, he takes off his helmet to reveal he is none other than than Sean Connery, and I didn't realise they had written that before they'd ever got Sean Connery, so I I just thought oh they've they've only they've just put that in now because he was in the film, I didn't find out until years later it was just a little kind of uh, wouldn't that be nice if we could get Sean Connery. Doesn't the script say something like Sean Connery or a cheaper lookalike? Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's great, and it just it just it was such an eye. I I can't tell you how important that was. It just it completely blew me away. Um, and I just I started writing scripts, and I still wrote short stories, but I just I enjoyed writing scripts even more. Still didn't think I would get anywhere with them, and then, then after a while, I started writing sketches because there was no sort of route into getting things made. So once I kind of thought this could be a career. That I could I could try and pursue. I would then write sketches and send them in. I didn't know where to send them because I, I was living in Ireland at the time and there, there weren't any sketch shows on TV at the time. So I would just send them to uh, the Irish broadcasting company to RTE. Go, hey, I've written some sketches. Um, do you, <laughs> would you like Would you like to use them in a in a sketch show or something? It was just it was ridiculous because like because I didn't know what else to do. And I would just get these very polite rejection letters, and, uh, and go, yeah, that would, we don't, we're not going to use them at this time. But please do feel free to send in anything else. 
at least they were polite yeah yeah and and in my head I, I was kind of thinking oh they said i could send in other stuff that's great that must mean they liked it it's not realizing they were just being polite um so i did send in a few things now and again and i would always get politely rejected but how important that polite rejection though because imagine if they hadn't been you know, it, know it's the sort of thing that might have prevented you from carrying on yeah yeah and it was just like a standard two-line form thing that that they clearly just copy and pasted um but they you know but somebody could have just really crushed me and just stopped me in my tracks there and then but they but they didn't thankfully yeah no it's, i think that's it's always worth bearing that in mind it's so mm. important to you know even if it's it's a bit rubbish or you know not suitable for what your whatever your current needs are or whatever you know when somebody presents you with something they've created don't mm. as you say don't crush them you know yeah. because you never know what that person might go on to do. Yeah. And to be fair, it was total rubbish that I was sending in. It was oh, absolutely I'm, I'm sure it was. You were very young, but that's not the point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this reminds me actually of, uh, there is within comics circles, uh, British comics circles, I should say, it is, there is an infamous uh, section in the, I think it's the 1981, 2000 AD annual, hmm. where they take three or four pages to go behind the scenes quote unquote and they show you a john wagner comic script for judge dread yes and then they show you the artist's pencils and then the inks and then the lettering and it's all shown stage by stage and that for people of my generation was the first time it's a bit like that script book it was the first time we'd seen a comic script yeah first time any of us had gone oh oh this is what a comic script looks like this is yes like you say the same revelation of well of course you've got to write down what the artist needs to draw and you've got to write down the dialogue and then somebody's got to actually draw it and put that dialogue on the page and all this stuff that in hindsight of course is so obvious but none of us had a clue and there is a whole generation of british comic creators uh who had that same who got that annual and had that same revelation garth ennis has spoken of it before um you know it was the first time he'd seen a script and of course look at what he went on to do <laughs> exactly and he was never heard of again yeah <laughs> i wonder what ever happened to him but they're so important those behind the scenes glimpses oh completely and i've you know i've got my i've got my my fair share of rejections from 2080 as well i've got uh i've got several quite polite um <laughs> in fact one it wasn't it, it was polite but it wasn't just a standard form thing um i I'd have to dig it out. It's in my, uh, I've got a box of stuff upstairs. I call my Moranabilia. It's just like any sort of like cinema programs or thing or tickets or, or sort of magazine mentions of my, of my stuff, but I've got all my rejections saved as well. Um, I don't know why I, I kept them. Like I, I think I thought, you know, when I'm, when I'm really rich and famous, I'm going to frame them all. I'm going to go and meet those people and laugh at them. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I got a really nice one from, I think it was. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Yeah. I think it was Matt Smith. He's been the editor for quite some time now. Yeah. God, it was, but this would have been like the nineties, early two thousands. Um, I don't know. Um, but it was, I it think was a, Matt has been the editor for nearly 20 years now. He took over after Andy Diggle. So God, it could well be. Yeah. It must have been. I've probably got, I think I've got one from Andy Diggle as well. I'd have to dig it out. <laughs> um, I've spoken to him about this. And he, he, obviously he doesn't remember. Yeah. I, I sent in, I sent in a future shock and I, and I hadn't, I hadn't been reading the magazine for about five years because I'd, I'd, I'd been to 
been to college, moved around, moved country a, a couple of times. Um, so I hadn't read it for about five years. So in my head, the future shocks were still sort of mid eighties style. So I, so I sent in one a bit like that and he sent a letter back rejecting it, but he kind of, he kind of pulled it apart a little bit and he kind of went, you know, next time maybe think, think about this and, and think about that. And just looking at your thing, why, why is, why is that the way that it is? Why does this character do that? Um, you know, do they just do that because of the story, or is there an underlying reason? And what, why, why would that make sense? And what, and why would, why would, and just sort of asking lots of questions. And I kind of went, oh yeah, that's yeah, that was terrible. Now, now, now that you, now that you <laughs> mention it, um, it doesn't make any sense. And but it, but that was really helpful as well. It was a, you know, it was a rejection, and I'd done loads of things wrong, but somebody had taken the time to to kind of go, look, here's here's lots of things you did wrong. Maybe think about that next time. And I, I always thought that was that was much better to get than just a standard two line thing, because yeah, it was kind of painful to go, oh my god, he's just he's just ripped it to pieces in a very nice way. But the fact that somebody would would take the time to do that and help me to learn was that was that was pretty pretty much gold. I still never got one in, but you know, <laughs> it was <laughs> but it was helpful. I, I mean, I've never worked for 2080 either, but I, I know plenty of people who have, like, as I'm sure you do, probably the same people. Mm. Uh, and all of them will tell you that Matt Smith is basically one of the best editors that they've ever worked for. And I think that sort of thing is why, because he, and there's a reason he's been editor of 2080 for so long. He genuinely, he's good at his job and he genuinely wants to get the best out of everyone who works for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with that, and it, you know, I didn't, obviously I didn't go on to become a, to become a comics writer, but it it just it helped it helped me in a lot of ways and it helped with my scripting as well because it just it was it was just a real eye opener just kind of go right let let's interrogate why this is happening and it's not just because I want this cool thing to happen there has to be a logical reason for it to happen at this point in the story and it it just it just really helped and it was also just a nice sort of validation it was just a moment where okay it's another rejection but he's taken some time and he's been nice and that must mean it's not as terrible as it could have been yeah well story is story isn't it i mean yeah y- you know yes you've got to learn the format and the peculiarities and the strengths and weaknesses of the medium you're working in but at the end of the day story is story and mm. if you can write a good story you should be able to transfer that to you know and the knowledge of that across between media um so i mean surely now we're getting to i, mean, I presume that you sort out more script books as well or more scripts at any rate to get a handle yes. on you yeah. know how scripts were written yeah well it, this was sort of the, the dawn of the internet um at this point so whenever i whenever i tell people this it always makes me feel so old like i'm <laughs> like i'm describing the 1930s or something and it's, it's it's so recent i still remember a time before the zx81 so you're on safe ground with me don't yeah. worry <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it was so it was so recent that there was no internet and to apply for jobs you'd have to print go down to the news agent and and get a photocopy of your cv that you'd printed out on your on your terrible dot matrix printer and like do a really dark photocopy because you were running out of ink on your on your printer and and post it off in an envelope to it to an address with a stamp and hope they, they replied it was it, it was bizarre but yeah I, yeah i was i was reading reading a lot of scripts by this point and and that's that's invaluable. The, the more scripts you can read, 
it just helps you to kind of because you, you, it takes you a while to figure out your your style as well because um, you're sort of you're kind of copying jokes and copying styles from other people until you kind of figure out what yours is. Um, but yeah, I just I just kept kind of kept writing stuff and kept sending stuff off here and there, um, and then it all kind of came down to there was a, the the UK Sci Fi Channel ran ran a competition where you would would send in a short film script and if you won the prize was that they would make the film and show it in cinemas before before certain films um that summer so i i entered the first year uh, I, I wrote a script and i didn't like it i thought it was terrible so i scrapped it and i wrote a different script stayed up all night thinking it would be really it was really good and and sent that in and it didn't win um and i remember being really annoyed when they announced the winner and it was a guy who hadn't even entered, he went, Oh yeah, I didn't even enter. My agent sent it in for me. And I went, you've got an agent. <laughs> but it was, I just thought this is for newcomers. Surely. I, I, I don't know if they'd even said that it was for newcomers, but I remember being so annoyed. Um, I think partly because I knew my script was terrible. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, that, well, that's why he, that's why he won then because uh, not because mine was terrible. Otherwise I would have won. So this, the second year they ran it, which turned out to be the final year, uh, as it turned out. Probably a very expensive competition to run, I'm sure. I, yes, I would imagine, because they were shooting on film. Because it was before, the, the this was like the year 2000, it was before the digital revolution. Um, so yeah, it would not have been cheap. They would have had to do deals to get it shown, to get them shown before um, feature films. So yeah, so the second year deadline was approaching. I just didn't have any ideas. I remember distinctly thinking, if I don't enter, that I can't be annoyed when someone else wins. <laughs> and, I just, and it's such a terrible reason to enter a competition, just assuming you're not going to win. But I thought, but if I don't enter, then I couldn't have won. So I have to enter, and at least I had a chance. And then I can be justifiably annoyed at whoever wins. So I, I, I polished up the script I'd written the year before that I had rejected myself. And I went. Actually, this is this is actually pretty good. Um, if I do this, this, and this, and and re- rework it, and then and, and sort out the ending, um, because I'd had a year away from it to kind of get fresh eyes on it and look at it kind of objectively. Um, so I tidied it up and sent it in. And I thought I thought nothing of it, and I completely forgot about it. And then I got a, a voicemail one day saying that I'd been I'd been shortlisted. So I called the number back and I said, "Yeah, you're you're in." The, it was like 10 or 15 people or something had made the final shortlist and they were going to, they were going to be read by the head judges. Um, and the head judge was Terry Gilliam, who obviously had started this script journey with time bandits many years before that. Um, so I just thought, well, I've, whatever happens now, I'm not going to win, but whatever, whatever happens now I've won because I can say Terry Gilliam is reading my script. Yeah. right now and that i was like i'm happy with that i'm completely happy with that I'm not going to win but i don't care because that's that's the best possible outcome and then i again forgot about it then i got home one day and there was uh, a message on my uh had an answer it's how long ago it was I had an answering machine with little tapes in um and there was a message on there the light was blinking and they said that i'd won and i just i just couldn't believe it um so i got to I did some rewrites. I did publicity. I got a I got a free GameCube um, 
had to have my photo taken with the GameCube, um, which was <laughs> a bit of a random prize. A random prize. Was, there's lots of very sort of bleary-eyed pictures of me with it, with a Sci-Fi Channel T-shirt and a Sci-Fi Channel mug, uh, posing with the GameCube. It was, it was very, very odd, but it was it was so exciting because I was I was going to have something actually made. Yeah, so I I did a few uh, did a few rewrites uh, for them. Um, they attached a director. The part of the contest was for a director as well, so he was the winning director on that. Um, and I got to be on set for it, and um, I was I was just li- literally on set in Cornwall watching them film my film, and it was it was so strange, it was so weird, but uh, so exciting. Because these were, there were recognizable actors. There were people on the crew who'd worked on these huge movies. There was like some some guy who worked on Indiana Jones movies. Um, the guy it was a it was a short film set in a world with no gravity, but it was set Earth with no gravity called Sheet Rate Gravity. So obviously we had people floating when things spoilers when things go wrong and people start floating around the place. Um, we had a guy. We had people up on cables, and the guy doing the cables did the cables for the Superman movies, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Oh wow! So the guy lifted people off the ground. It was just this big hairy guy with a beard called Bob, and I was like, the guy who made Superman fly is on the set of my silly short film. But they were all just kind of like, you know, it's, I've just I've done this, I've done that. It's a job, but, you know. Yeah. It's a job, and they were, you know, they weren't down about it. They were just kind of like, yeah, it was good fun, uh, but I'm doing this now. This is great. Um, it was they just they just liked liked being in the industry and liked do liked doing their job loved their work. And how old were you at this point? This was God. This was the year two thousand. So I was twenty eight. Twenty eight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so did that get you? Did you go from there to getting an agent? Well, um, I just thought this is great. I've won this. They're going to make a short film. That's that's going to be my adventure. And didn't think anything else would come of it. Um, and then somebody, I, I think it was one of the one of the Sci-Fi Channel people, or maybe one of the actors, just went, "Oh yeah, you could probably get an agent out of this and 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 get something else going." And, and it hadn't even occurred to me. I just, so so then I started approaching a few agents, and so I've got some more more rejection letters for my 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 stash box upstairs. Um, but then. I thought, well, you know, it hasn't come out yet. I've, I haven't really written anything else proper, so I'll, you know, I'll wait for the. They, they were going to do like a big cast and crew screening, and they said, yeah, we're going to we're going to get lots of industry people along and and agents, and and you probably get an agent from that, and 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 blah blah blah. Um, and then for for whatever reason, that there, there wasn't a big screening with industry people. Um, there was sort of, there were sort of internal things going on that I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, aware of, so there wasn't a big screening. Um, in fact, they didn't even tell me that it had come out. I I found out from a friend of mine. He said, oh, "I saw your short film; it's great." And I was like, "Oh, okay." A tale as old as time itself. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It was it was that was a bit of an eye opener. Um, or getting getting in getting in the, uh, the 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 mistreatment of writers very early on. Um. So yeah, so so I went I went to see I went to see it several times. I had to sort of buy tickets to see films several times, <laughs> um, which was just a blast. And then I got I got a video copy on on VHS, um, which I'm looking at right now up on my shelf. Um, 
and and that's when I went right. They're they're not gonna they're not gonna have the screening. They're not gonna help me get an agent. And then I thought, do you know what? Why should they? They've they've got their own careers. They've got their own lives. It's not their job to help me get an agent and get on with my career. That's completely not up to them. If I want to do this, I need to do it myself. So I sat down and wrote two scripts. Uh, I wrote a film script which I designed to be sellable and marketable and sort of, you know, carefully calculated to hit all, tick all these boxes and everything. And it was, it was a thriller film script. Um, and then I thought, well, that, I mean, that'll, that will obviously sell because that's really clever and, and I've written it for the market. So it will completely sell instantly. Um, but then I also thought I need, I need something else to contrast with this to show that I can do something else. So I wrote, half hour tv pilot called the school based on my memories of my terrible terrible boarding school which i hated um in a really exaggerated way so they were you know the naughty kids were thrown into an alligator pit and the uh, the vice principal was it was an earth elemental demon and there were it was it was all very surreal and weird and, and but funny and and violent and silly um and it was for adults, but there were kids as the main character. It was all over the place, but it but it was fun. Um, so I'm, I got a big list of agents. Um, I, I bought an out-of-date copy of the Writers and Artists Yearbook because if you bought an out-of-date copy, it was cheaper because <laughs> it wasn't up to date. Because <laughs> half of the phone numbers are no longer valid. <laughs> exactly. So I, so I got that and I, and I read up on all the agents, all the agencies, and then I went on the internet um, and sort of compared and found their websites, and I made a I made a, I made a list from that. I thought, right, I will send my stuff to every agent on this list one by one. I'll send it to the first agent. If they reject it, then I'll go to the next agent. I'll go one by one all the way through. It'll probably take me about a year when I'm wait as I'm waiting for replies. If I get to the end and they've all said no, fair enough, gave it a try. You know, no no harm, no foul. Um, and the first agent I I. I hand delivered it as well. I got I got them printed at my day job and uh, and bound it with a fancy cover because I thought it's got a fancy cover. Then uh, they have to be impressed by my script. And <laughs> um, hand, I handed it in at the desk um, for their their slush pile. And this is on a Friday. And then Monday morning, I had a phone call from an agent there um, who happened. They took turns to be in charge of the slush pile, and it was his turn that week. So what he did when it was his turn was he would quickly look through the first couple of pages of each script and any that didn't look awful, he would sort of filter out and put in his pile and then he would divvy up the rest between the other agents. So he would always make sure he got the best. <laughs> uh, some things never change. Exactly, um, which which I appreciated. Um, so yeah, so he, he phoned me up and he was very complimentary and I uh, went in for a meeting and he had all these ideas and things. Um, and then he, he said he would like to represent me and told me to, to sleep on it and decide the next day. And yeah, I, I just remember coming out of the office and wandering through Covent Garden, just kind of stunned and not really knowing what, what was going on. Um, so yeah, so I, I'd already decided, but I thought, well, I, I don't want to, don't want to look uncool. I need to, I need to leave it overnight like you said so i phoned back the next day and said yes i've given a lot of thought and uh, <laughs> i've decided that uh, it would be good to to let you rep represent me um you're very welcome 
So yeah, so so he was sort of off and running. But but the the film script I'd written to be marketable, he hated. Thought it was terrible. Um, and he was like, never mention that again. Um, but he loved the school, the silly one that I'd written to show that I could do some jokes, because as he said, it was it was purely my voice. It was like un, sort of unfiltered me, and it was based on a personal experience, and it was funny. It was scary. It just. I, I wasn't sort of trying to second guess anything or write for a particular market. Cause I was like, this is never going to sell. So it doesn't matter. So I just wrote it completely mad. Um, and he loved that. And that, that literally that half hour script got me all my meetings. The first year I had an agent, that's all I had to show for, for myself. Oh, wow. But I, I've said this so many times that it's, it, you're, you're always, or unless you're, you know, unless you have extenuating circumstances, you are always better off writing something that you want to read or you know, see on the screen or whatever. Something that, as you say, is completely your voice, because there are a million intelligent, high octane thrillers out there, you know, written hmm. for the market. There are loads of those things, but what there aren't loads of are high school comedies with demon headmasters and stuff. You know, that's, you've got to do the thing that feels like it's you but exactly. also because you're going to have to live with it for a long time. If it actually does take off. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you write it from a cynical place, then you're going to, you're going to be working on something that's going to make you miserable, but also you're not because there's going to be no love on that page. So no one's going to be interested. So you're not going to end up working on it because no one's going to want to buy it. Exactly. Right. But yeah, yeah it was, it was just a story, a story in my head that only I, had put together in that particular way and only I could tell it in that particular way. And it's, it's still, it still resonates. Somebody tried to get it made last year still. Um, wow. <laughs> no, no one's, no one's managed it because of all the things. Because it it's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes a good read. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, you know, it's, it's a show for adults, but kids are the main characters, but kids can't watch it because there's kids being violently tortured and murdered, but it's funny that they're being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> It's never going to get made. Never going to happen. Uh, as long as it keeps getting you meetings. Exactly. Yeah. People. Yeah. People still bring it up. They still talk about it, which is, which is bonkers. It really is. <laughs> so where do you start then? I mean, do you start with uh, a tone, something where you, like that, where you think, okay, I just want to make something crazy and madcap and you know, over the top, violent, humorous, or whatever, or do you start with a plot idea or with characters or how, you know, how does it kind of come together for you? When you're starting on a new script, it's it's literally just it's just a random plot idea. Um, uh, I I sort of I call it like a sort of like a what if moment, um, even though if it's not a what if question, um, it's just just a random thing will pop into my head. What if what if this happened? What if um, what if a bunch of yuppies went on a team building expedition and stumbled into a seventies horror movie? Um, that's that's literally that's all I had with that. Um, uh, when, when I had my my next meeting with my agent, I, he got me to bring in all my film ideas because he was like, skip TV, just go straight to film. Because um, there was no there was no sci fi or horror TV on at the time. It was before Doctor Who had come back, so there was nothing. Um, so I had I had seven film ideas, and they were just like one sentence things that just popped into my head, and that was one of them. Didn't I had nothing else, and he said that's good. Write that, so I had to kind of go off and and spin it up into a into a full story. But yeah, it just I'll just be I'll be 
I'll be walking along somewhere, I'll be watching TV or just reading a news story and something will something in my head will go, oh, what if that hadn't happened? What if this happened instead? Or I'll be thinking about a memory from my past and going, oh, I wish that had happened instead or I wish that hadn't happened. And then my brain will kind of start thinking, well, what if, what if you'd done that instead of this? Uh, and then sometimes it'll just be like a little one sentence thing and sometimes it won't go anywhere or sometimes it will kind of go, this, this feels like it could be something. So it's the ones that kind of stick in my head and don't go away that won't leave me alone that I instantly start thinking other ideas for. Then it, it all kind of comes from there. It's, it's, it's always that sort of concept that it starts with the concept and then once I once I work out the storyline, then I I come up with the characters to fit into that. And do you carry a notebook? Do you jot all this stuff down as it comes to you? Um, I used to carry a notebook around, and I kept forgetting to bring it anywhere. Um, <laughs> people people used to joke that I I was the only writer who never had a pen on them. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, but <laughs> you know, I, I was I was never too far from uh, from uh, a laptop, so I, I would sort of make it make a note in a in a notepad or i've got a i've got a um a, a wiki uh software thing on here that i i call my brain and i i i put stuff into that just little snippets of things um or now if i've just got my phone with me i'll just i'll just send myself a little a little email or put it into a phone note um but yeah i'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll make a note of it somewhere because I, I will forget yeah um, and then, but then you, I mean, do you go over that and look for, you know, things that you've, your old notes to see if anything sparks, or do you wait for something to surface in your memory and go, oh, actually, you know, I remember I made a note about something or other that seems like a good, still seems like a good idea. Let's go and have a look at that again. Yeah. Yeah. But a bit of both. Sometimes something will just kind of pop up in my memory and kind of go, Hey, this is an idea. This, this, this could be something you should, you should run with. Um, or sometimes I'll just be, I'll just be looking through, sometimes just looking through the files for something else that, I, that, I was trying, that I'm trying to find. And then I'll, I'll see something that I'd forgotten about to go, oh yes, that was, that was a thing. That was something I'll, I'll, I'll move that up to the, to the top and just uh, keep an eye on that. Um, but yeah, sometimes I will just kind of go through just to make sure I've not forgotten something or forgotten a, a killer concept that, that might that might make for a make for a good film or something the ones that get me are when i'll i'll be doing something completely unconnected and then i'll suddenly think oh hang on i've just you know just had an idea for a note that i made three months ago and i've suddenly <laughs> thought of a new angle on it or something and i'll go back to the note to type in this new angle and realize that actually i already had this idea for a, this same idea for the same new angle <laughs> like yes, two months yes. ago and i'd forgotten again <laughs> <laughs> I, I do i do that if when i'm when i'm redrafting something i, I usually sort of when i've when i've done drafts i'll leave it for a few weeks and, and then come back for the next draft and sometimes i'll be i'll be in the middle of a page re re tweaking something and i go oh it's not be really cool as if if a character did this and i'll turn the page and they do it and i go oh i already did that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of it's good in a way because it makes you think oh okay i you know maybe i i do know what i'm doing but it also it gives me pause because it makes me think Am I that predictable? Like, is this, is this you know, is my style? Well, no, it's it's clear you, you <laughs> thought of it before, so it's 
you, you don't realize that, that you're that you're just remembering it. But no, I, I always have a little moment where I go, oh, well done me. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're, they're, they're few and far between those pats on the back. So yeah. you take, take it where you can. So how do you, uh, so you said you take um, a concept and then you build the story around that and then you find characters to suit that concept, which I, I do a lot actually, especially with script work, less so with novels. But hmm. with, uh, yeah, screenplays and comic books and stuff, because they are more structured, I tend to take the same approach. So does that mean that you outline the story before you begin writing the script? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of developed my, my process over the years and sort of tweaked it and changed it. So, so now it's, it's, got, it's a very sort of set uh, process, which is I have, I have the concept, have the idea, and then I, I open, a, open a blank file and put the idea at the top and then i spend several days sometimes several weeks sometimes months just brainstorming around the idea and and the key point of the brainstorm is not to try and figure out the storyline to just come up with cool stuff based around that core concept so I've got my little what if thing at the top and then I go, well, what, what will be a cool scene in that film? What could be a cool character? What could be a cool moment? Or oh, here's a, here's a fun line of dialogue that somebody could say. I don't know who that somebody is or where they would say it and just do page. But I, and I, and I type, I, I'm quite a fast typer. So I type as I'm thinking that, or as I'm saying it out loud and I type it all into the document, big stream of consciousness, like in sentence format, as I'm saying it, uh, sometimes little snippets of things. And I just do that for pages and pages and pages. Uh, sometimes I'll think of a research thing I can go and look up and go, oh, I wonder if that's that's a thing. And I go and check that out and find a link and find a picture and I'll, I'll chuck all that in. Um, but the key is to just kind of enjoy myself thinking up fun stuff or scary stuff or exciting stuff or tense stuff. Um, and then I leave that for a few days and then I come back to it and then I start kind of going right now what what would go in the beginning what would go in the middle what would go in the end what feels like is the spine of the storyline and then you you instantly start seeing things that will connect and go together and then you start kind of finding the it's all in there you just didn't realize you start finding the spine of the storyline and then you can start putting things in order taking stuff and adapting it and moving it to different sections um that's a cool ending that's a cool opening um, this is a this is a scary thing that happens in the middle, or should it happen in the beginning, and and then you can start sort of seeing where you've got gaps, and and then that's a separate document, and I keep I keep the brainstorm document separate, and then I can start putting things in the correct order, and going right this this scene doesn't actually make sense within the context of this story that I've discovered, so I need to make it make sense, or delete it, or put something else in its place. Um, and then I just sort of refine that gradually. And then once I've done that, that's a big old mess of a document. Then I will do a new document and I will write a bullet point outline just because it's just for me. No one's going to read it. I'll just do a simple bullet point outline of this happens, then that happens, then this happens, then that happens. Um, and usually at this point, I'm figuring out who is in it as well. That's kind of a, it's, it's kind of blended together because because if something's going to happen, then it needs to happen to someone or someone needs to do it. So I need to figure out who that person is and why they're doing it. And that's why the, the characters are kind of 
the kind of custom designed to fit this particular story. Um, you know, just like who is who if this happened, who who what person in the is is the worst possible person for this to happen to? Who who is who is gonna have the worst day of their life if this happens to them? Um and how are they gonna overcome that? Or are they gonna overcome it? Um then I got my bullet point outline and then I will do a separate document with a little paragraph on each of the characters, just a, just a small paragraph. I don't go into, you know, their childhood or their eye color or what they have for breakfast, just, just kind of a, a rough kind of summary of who they are. Um, and I'll pick an actor for that, for that character as well. Even if they're, even if they're not, they wouldn't be right for the casting. I'll just pick an actor so that because when you're doing that first draft, it's very easy for all the characters to sound the same because you don't know who they are yet. So if I've picked actors that are very different, then that helps that first draft. It's like, well, that this character sounds like that. This and I'll pick characters with very strong accents. Like there was um, when I wrote Tower Block, um, I picked uh, Michael Smiley for Curtis, who was who became Jack O'Connell's character. Mm-hmm. Because I thought he needs to have a very distinctive way of talking, and he needs to be quite cutting and sarcastic. And I'd seen Michael Smiley in a few roles where he'd been—they're not—they're not the same roles, but you know, he's got a certain way of speaking, a certain speech rhythm, and some things sound better when he says them. So I thought, right, right if I pick him for that character, then I will hear his accent and his voice and see his face every time that character speaks. Um, and it, it helped keep the character consistent. And it, I do that for all my for all the, all the characters, all the leads. It just helps keep their their speech patterns consistent. Um, and then once I've done that, you notice none of this is actually writing a script. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Then once once I've done that, I will put together a custom music playlist, which I do for everything, um, songs or pieces of music or soundtrack stuff that feels like it would fit in the film or would get me in the in the mood for this for writing this and i've got to put them in the right order they would be on the soundtrack um and then i start my my rough script draft and it's all it's all designed so that i spend ages doing the fun brainstorm where i don't have to make it make sense and then i sort of gradually whittle it down and find the characters and then once i've done all of that the first rough draft of the script is the fastest process because i've got everything worked out i don't have to stop and think what happens next or who who's going to appear on screen i know i know where everything is it still gives me lots of leeway but it means i can start that rough draft hit the ground running and just fly through it because that that first rough draft you've got to well for me um i know everyone's different i've got to get through it as fast as possible because then I'm not thinking, and when I'm not thinking, I'm just writing it down. Then, then the characters can sort of speak. It sounds very pretentious. They they sort of start speaking themselves because I'm I'm not trying to think up what they're going to say. They just sort of seem to speak naturally from somewhere. And you go into a weird kind of a kind of a weird twilight zone, kind of zen, kind of trance state, where it's like I'm not I'm not making this stuff up. They're just talking. I don't know where this is coming from. Um, and you don't, and you just don't look back, and I never look back over anything I've written the next day. I just carry on. I just fly through it until I get to that that final page, and then I then I then I'll leave it for several weeks, 
um, so that it because the goal is to just get that rough draft out as quickly as possible. Everything's worked out, and then and if after a few weeks when I've been agonizing, thinking, "Oh no, this is this has gone wrong. It's that this first this rough draft is awful. It's really terrible. I've done a really bad job here." Then a few weeks later, you go back to it and you go, "Oh, it's it's not actually that bad. Some of it's okay. Some of it's good. Some of it's terrible." Um, but it's all stuff I can fix because I've got I've got a draft now, and then I will spend a long a much longer time refining that draft. Um, I'll do I'll do several passes. Um, I'll do I'll do a, like a pass for each character usually, and I and I go through quite quickly just so that I can do it all in one sitting so that I can keep the whole story and and each character in my head clearly. Um, I'll do a character pass to make sure their dialogue's consistent. Um, I'll do a I'll do a logic pass. I'll do a scares pass. Um, I'll do a sort of a, a page count pass. Like if if uh, you know if if the first act is sort of going on until like page forty or so, and it's only a ninety minute film, then obviously I need to I need to trim that back a bit. Otherwise, I, I can feel myself getting bored on the page, and I can feel the audience getting bored. Um, and then I just I just keep refining it and refining it until I can't think of anything else to change. And then and then that's what I call my first draft, which it isn't. But you know you you don't send anyone your first draft. God no. <laughs> it it sounds like you and I actually are not that dissimilar in terms of process. I'm the same about rushing through the rough draft. You know, getting outlining everything beforehand and then getting through that first draft, as you say, without looking back. Yeah, as quickly as you can. Um, I mean, how how long is that normally for the for that rough draft for you? Um, I've done I've done rough drafts in a few days. Wow! Um, of an entire screenplay. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, usually, it's usually a week or two. Um, it's at the moment it's sort of three three or four weeks. I think three sort of the average. Um, because when I, when I'm doing that rough draft, I don't I don't do anything else. I don't I don't work on anything else because I need to stay in that zone. Um, and I and I just listen to that music playlist over and over again. Nothing else. Um, so when I when I get to the desk, I put the music playlist on and I'm flying through the draft. Um, yeah, two two or three weeks for the rough draft because I've got it all because it's all worked out and I don't have to stop and think. Um. So is that outline pretty watertight then before you start? There are no gaps or holes that you need to kind of figure out as you're writing. Um, I I always think there aren't any, but <laughs> this is the thing. You, you can have a completely watertight outline and look at it and go, right, there are no gaps. This makes complete sense. And then you, and then you can suddenly get onto a script page and go, oh, this doesn't actually make any sense in script format for some reason. Like you could have a bit in an outline where where you go, the characters realise that they've been duped, and then you get onto the script page and like, right, so what what am I actually seeing and hearing here? Yeah, how do they realise? Does someone tell them they, re- they they've been duped? Have they read? Have they seen something on a screen? Is what, what's what? and that's when you re- find all the, the little uh, outline shorthand prose things that don't that don't translate to script. So they're the only times you have to sort of stop and think. Um, Sometimes there are sort of bigger gaps, and and sometimes I have just stopped for a few days and gone right. I've actually, I've actually got a bigger hole, bigger problem here than I realise, and then I will need to work it out. And that's the only time I will I will go back and change stuff 
if if I have to. So I just think, right, I, I can actually keep going forwards until I've fixed this because this is a this is a this is quite a big quite a big error. Um, I normally have there's at least one point in all of my certainly in my novels and in most of my graphic novels as well, where I get that. But normally about two thirds of the way through, I suddenly think, oh, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I can't go on until <laughs> I figure out how to solve this particular problem. And as you say, it doesn't matter how carefully I think yeah. I've outlined, there's always one. Yeah, there's there's always there's always one moment, sometimes more. But yeah, it's, it's usually just one big thing where you're like, oh, uh, and it's, I, I just call it like being derailed. It's just, like, just kind of like, oh, what's what's happened? The, the train's come off the tracks here. This is, I've hit, I've smashed into a brick wall. This is, this has gone wrong. And and it's it's not, it's never your fault. You can't predict it. But yeah, something like that always happens. And you just have to sort of try not to, try not to panic and just kind of work it out. But then you've got your, you've got your outline to go back to. You've got your 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 rough outline. You've got your brainstorm. And there's always extra stuff in the brainstorm you haven't put in because it didn't quite fit so you can you can always go back to that and go right is there anything here that i was thinking of while i was thinking of the concept that might help to to plug that gap or 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 solve that problem yeah but sometimes it's it is just like a logic thing where it's like oh that actually doesn't make sense and they were in the barn and now suddenly they're over here and there's nothing it's it's just a just a moment of derailment that you that you have to fix or sometimes sometimes something like i will get to a certain point and i think oh they they should have done something 20 pages ago for this to be logical um but usually i'll just make a note i, I keep a, i keep little uh, a little note pad uh, a, a text file next to the script and if if something like that happens i'll usually just make a note in that text file to go and fix page 23 later just that I can keep going forwards, and then I, then my brain goes, okay, you've 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 taken care of that. That's going to be fixed. Don't worry. So I just I just carry on typing as if I've already fixed it. Yeah. Again, I do the same. Oh, not in a separate file. I just do double square brackets and make a note hmm. at the point where I realise there's a problem. Basically, saying go back twenty pages and fix this problem. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I, I mark uh, anything I need to come out. I, I mark with uh, like three capital X's so that. When I finish script, I can just search for XXX. Also, because it sort of stands out on the page. Yeah, I find it fascinating that so you and I are basically the same age, and as you say, you know, we're of a generation that remembers before home computers, certainly mm, before yeah. the internet, and yet you do everything digitally. Yeah, yeah. You don't use index cards. You don't make notes on a notepad. You nope. do everything on the computer. That's that's fascinating to me. Ne- never never do um i th- i think it's because i just remember all those years of of painfully writing stories in exercise books um and i would get cramps because I, I wrote so much i would get cramps in my hand and i don't have it anymore but i used to have on my um the finger next to my little finger on my right hand i would ha- i'd have a little a little callus on the inside of it and it was like a permanent little brown callus from the pen and I had it up until my early twenties, uh, mid twenties, and then it gradually kind of went away. The, the the less and less I used a pen, it gradually faded away. So it's gone now. But I still remember it was quite big, and it was like a big blister that never went away. So that's so that's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> I hate using pens. Also, my handwriting is terrible. Oh well, so is mine. But you know, nobody else is going to read it except me. 
but I've, I've always been like sort of 80, 90 words per minute typist because it's, I just find it much easier to type than, than to use a pen. So, so my handwriting is even worse now than it, than it ever used to be. Anytime I do have to write something, like if you have to fill out a form with a pen and I, I'm like three words in and I'm like, this is so painful. I'm writing like a chimp. <laughs> do you, uh, so when you've got that f- quote unquote first draft, uh, do you pass it around to people first or does it just go straight to your agent or, or what? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a few a few trusted readers um and some yeah some sometimes it'll go straight to my agent if i if i'm pretty happy with it but i will send it to him for his notes rather than here you go send it off it's perfect right right um, but yeah i've got i've got a few trusted people um there's my wife obviously who's also a writer um who is very very tough and honest um but she'll she will interrogate the logic and the characters and then that kind of thing. Um, I've got a couple of other friends who are good at different things with scripts. Um, one's really good at character. One's really good at doing sort of the the audience test, where it's like you know this bit on page sixty three doesn't make any sense because the character said the opposite ten pages ago, or you know why why would they why would they go to the 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 crazy serial killer barn? When there's no there's no reason for them to do that and it's dangerous. Why would they do that? So that that sort of thing. So everyone's kind of got their different strengths. Um, so I'll usually just get one or two people to read. But if it's something that's sort of big and complicated, then I'll usually get them all to have a have a read and and see what the see what the the feedback is. How much do you normally change? Because this is a, this is getting notes and sort of acting on them is something I find differs a lot between writers. Like some writers will act on almost all notes they get because they just assume, well, therefore, you know, I must've made a mistake, so this will make it better. And then there are others who are obstinate, shall we say, <laughs> about, uh, you know, what they've written. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just think that the, these, these people know, they, they know what they're talking about. So if they have a problem with something, then, then there is a prop. There is something there. They, they have, like, like they say in America, that I, I bumped on that. I, I just bumped on it. Um, so if, if they bumped on it for whatever reason, then I, I need to look at it. Like, even if I want to keep it as is, then I probably need to explain it better, or, or rewrite it, or, or set it up earlier, or something. And, and usually it's, it's lots of kind of small things, with, you know, sort of line changes or or just tweaks to a bit of dialogue. Um, but sometimes it'll be a question about, about the logic of something that does require a bigger rewrite. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's up to you what you want to change, because I, I know what the intention is. So sometimes I, I kind of go, right, I don't agree with that, but I will tweak this instead that will hopefully address their problem with it, because I've either not explained it or I've not set it up. Um, or there's just something in there rubbing up the wrong way, um, or I was usually my 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 biggest problem um, is over explaining stuff because I'm always paranoid that I've not explained things enough, and then I get the feedback and they go, yeah, that thing that that you thought you haven't explained, you've explained it five times <laughs> in detail. So and I I got it after the first one, so. Then I can I'm, I I I feel confident enough now I I can delete 
most of those mentions of it because because you got it after the first time. Um, yes, but there's, yeah, there's been a few times where there's, there's been a big question come back, and I've gone, yeah, this is the, they're the really annoying ones where you go, yeah, you're right, I completely agree with that. I'm going to have to do a big rewrite on this to fix that. Um, but you've got to do it because yeah, you, you could you could just leave it, and then what if everybody else has the same problem, or what if the end. You know, if it gets made, the entire audience goes, oh, I would have enjoyed that, but apart from this massive plant problem. So I would rather fix it and then know that it's it's going out with its, with its best foot forward, as they say. Um, but also, as soon as that's where you get annoyed, as soon as they mention it, you, kn- you know it's a problem. And so you can't send it out after that because yeah. you know, you know, you know they're right. And it will just, it will bother you, even if no one else notices. You'll and, it, and, it, and it's fine. Yeah, you, you'll be like, oh, I wish, I wish I'd fixed that. I wish I'd fixed it. Uh, the, the worst of the ones where you think you've got away with it. Like you kind of, <laughs> you kind of know in the back of your mind that there is an issue, but you think, oh, I think I've papered over that one. And then yeah, the note no. comes back and you're like, no, you, no, you didn't yeah. <laughs> paper over it. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I hate it, but I know. <laughs> um. So, all right, let's, let's start to close this out. What, of all the, because you write quite a variety of stuff. I know it is mostly, I say mostly, it's not even mostly, you, you know, you're best known for writing comedy and horror, but you've written mm. plenty of other stuff besides that. So what parts of the writing do you think you're pretty good at? Um, I think, I think, I, I think I'm good at the action stuff. Um, I'm good at the horror stuff. Um like like act, action sequences, I always I always write my action sequences out in detail. Um, and even if it's not like every single punch or every single car car tire squeal, um, I will write them out pretty detailed. Even if I kind of think, okay, the stunt people are gonna are gonna change all this, I still like to kind of go right. Here's here's the beats of the action scene, and it's also it's fun. It's fun to write a big action sequence. Um, and I just think, why, why would I leave that to somebody else when, when I can, when I can do it? And also I, you know, I, otherwise you're just going to put insert action sequence here and, <laughs> you know, and if, if you, if you built to an action sequence properly from a character point of view, then it's not just action, it's action with, with character and stakes and tension because you, you, you want this character to succeed and, and you're worried for them and it's, and it's more exciting because of that. So, so I think I think I'm good at describing action. Um, I think I'm good at the horror stuff where everything seems normal and then things start going slightly wrong and then everything goes bananas. I think I'm good at that. Um, I think I'm good at letting letting even serious stuff be funny when it needs to be. And it's not to say that I put jokes in. I don't think I've ever put a joke into anything. Um, but I've just let things be funny, even Cockneys versus Zombies, which is just, it's nonstop humor. I don't think I put any jokes in. I just thought I just kind of went full tilt and went, I'm going to completely let this be as funny as it wants. I'm not going to sort of try and rein it in. Um, but again, yeah, no, no gags. It's just let characters react believably and realistically. And sometimes that means they get frustrated and they swear, or or they or they or they lose their mind a little bit, or they have a they have a breakdown and they scream, or or they they smash stuff up. And that will be funny, yeah. Yeah, it'll be funny. My 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 golden rule with that is, it's funny for us. It's not funny for them. 
Oh, yeah, very good. Yeah, like that. All right. So, what do you wish you were better at? Oh God, everything else. <laughs> <laughs> everything else. Um, I w- I wish I was better at finding the characters sooner because that that always takes the longest time. Because um, that you know that no matter how careful you are, that those first couple of drafts, there are still times when. You, you can you're kind of mostly happy with it, but you're just like oh, two of those characters pretty much sound the same. If I swap the names around, would anyone even notice? And then I really have to work extra hard to kind of to kind of get them to where they need to be. So it take it takes me a longer time. Like there's the stuff in scripts where I've I've put in, I've written a sequence and that has stayed identical word for word from start to finish to shooting. Um, and then there's some stuff where it's a character where it's taken me right up until the day of shooting to figure out what their dialogue should sound like in a particular scene. Oh, wow. That's cutting it fine. Yeah. And it's just, I, I just wish I was, I was better at that, but then I, but then I, I just work harder at it. Um, I think I'm just, I, I, I always try and work as hard as possible on, on stuff to make it as good as it possibly can be. Um, and I think, I think that is probably one of my strengths. Um, um, it's like that. That uh, what's that? That Matt Damon rugby movie, Invictus. I can't, I can't remember the story, but there's just a moment where he says, "We we're not we're never going to be the best team, but at least we can guarantee we'll be the fittest if we just train and train and train and train. At least we'll be the fittest, and that'll give us an advantage over teams who are better than us." And I, I always remember that because I thought, well, that's that's kind of what I do. It's like, I know, I know I'm not, I'm never going to win an Oscar. I'm not the best writer in the world. But if I put so much work in and do draft and draft and draft and really, really refine it, then I will, I will put more work in than anybody else. Well, and you've got to sleep at night as well. And I mean, yeah. that's the, I, I'm like that with, you know, I'll put way more effort than is required into, you know, some throwaway five page mm. comic story or something for an anthology. And there's really no need for me to put so much time and effort into it, but I can't live with myself if I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy who just phones it in. Yeah, no, exactly. When I, I did a, I did a short story for a Torchwood magazine and the climax it's like a big fun climax where they they have to land their plane um, in car on the street in Cardiff, residential street in Cardiff. I was like, wouldn't that be a great fun? And, and like, and then I suddenly thought, right, I need to I need to figure out if this can actually be done. And Is there a street big enough? <laughs> didn't matter. Didn't matter because it, it was a short story, and I could have just said there was a there was a street that fit. But no, I I looked up. I knew there was a long street leading up to the bay where the Torchwood base was. So I looked at the length of that street and I was looking up air, uh, aircraft weights and sizes and their stopping distance. And if it was wide enough and I, I was getting the measurements of the planes and I worked out how heavy the plane needed to be and if it was nearly out, nearly, nearly out of fuel. And that meant it could only come from certain countries because of the distance. Invo- it's ridiculous. I spent, I spent three or four days working that all out. And I went, yep, yeah, okay, given these conditions – a plane could land and it would stop just in time before it tipped into the bay. Um, and no one, no one ever questioned it. No one ever asked what, what type of plane it was or, <laughs> or, or anything like that. Cause I didn't, cause you don't put that in the story, obviously no. it could be boring. 
<laughs> but you know, you know. Exactly. So I was satisfied. I was like, well, if anyone ever does ask, I'll get my presentation out and the slides. <laughs> <laughs> the next Gallifrey one or something. There you are. Yeah. Pull your laptop out and go, right. <laughs> 20 page PowerPoint. <laughs> I, d- I did that at a Gallifrey one once. There was uh, some, uh, some, they were asking questions about some, I can't even remember what the question was. And this adorable little kid stood up and she was like, in, in this episode, what? And she would ask a question. It was like a really nerdy thing. And it was like a real sort of clever, nerdy point. And everybody went, ooh. And I just answered it even more nerdily. And I just went, don't try to out nerd me. <laughs> Brilliant. She cried. She didn't. I got, a picture. <laughs> I got a picture with her and her dad afterwards. And I apologized for being being that that type of obsessive nerd that has to be correct (laughs) (laughs) all right and what is something that you've watched recently where the writing itself really impressed you and why oh blimey um i can't my mind's gone blank um all i can think of because i I rewatched it the other day um is scream from 1996 as i i did then and i and, and i do now i think that is such a beautifully, beautifully constructed Swiss clock of a script. It's flipped. It's just flawless. Um, there's not a single thing I would change in there. Um, it's it's so well constructed. It's so well worked out, and the way it builds the tension and and lets it lets you off the hook and then builds it back up again. Uh, the dialogue, the opening sequence, the finale. The, the clever the clever tricks like with the time delay on the video and then and then you forget about it and then it comes back again at a crucial moment and it's 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 just it's a it's a perfect film it's an absolutely perfect film and it's all there in the script yeah it is it really is all right so james where can people find you online um i am uh, i have a website uh i am jamesmoranwriter.com uh, I have a Twitter, which is just at James Moran. Um, I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash James Moran. There is a theme here. Um, yeah, I just, I talk a lot of nonsense on Twitter. Uh, my, my main website has got all my, my info and links and credits and, and, and bits and bobs. And the Patreon is an ongoing writing advice place where I post, uh, I do a month, a big main monthly post about uh, nuts and bolts of, of my process or a behind the scenes, depending on which, which month it is. Oh, so definitely of interest to listeners of this show then. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I, I rejigged it recently. I had about, I had about seven or eight different tiers and on there. And I just, it was just way too complicated. So I just rejigged it. So there's just a $1 and a $3 tier and it just, it just made it easier for me. Yes, uh, that's too many tears. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just too confusing. And although if it's confusing me, then, you know. <laughs> uh, what uh, work of yours do, would you recommend that listeners check out then if they haven't seen anything with yours yet? I mean, I guess Severance because it's the, it's my first film and I'm hugely proud of it. And rewatching it recently, it's, it's all over the place. I would never structure a film like that now because I didn't really know what I was doing back then. But I think that gives it a sort of a, a sort of a naive, youthful energy that I don't think you would you would get otherwise. Um, and it keeps it surprising. And it's like three different films in one. Um, 
and because because I was just throwing everything that I could in because I was just desperate to please, which I which I still do now. I'm just desperate to please and desperate to be loved, um, which is the main reason people become writers. That and revenge. That audacity of youth is really hard to to sort of recapture as you become more experienced, isn't it? Because I, I, I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just like I would, I would never, I would never structure a film like this, but that's one of its strengths is that it's it's a really odd structure but it but it really works somehow purely by accident i'm sure there was no <laughs> there was no cleverness involved um so I, so I i wrote it in a weekend without an outline and it was terrible and i spent spent a year fixing it and that's why i have my my uh, process now so that i don't have to spend a year oh so that that doesn't happen again <laughs> writing a film. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess Severance, but I'm I'm also hugely proud of Cockneys and uh, Tower Block, my other two films, which could not be more different from each other. All right, James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me; it's been great. And thank you all out there for listening to Writing and Breathing, and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters who help keep the show going. If you want to join them and become a patron to get exclusive access to episodes before they're published take part in Q&A episodes and more, go to patreon.com slash writingandbreathing and make your pledge. If you want to get in touch, go to writingandbreathing.com for links to email and Twitter, and that is also where you'll find all of the previous episodes. Writing and Breathing is a 7RQ production and is made in England. Remember to write, remember to breathe. I'll see you next time.